You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Hello, and welcome into the portal a place where we have ventured through many gateways to find creatures and entities unknown to this world. Some more ominous and malevolent, others simply straight-up strange. Tonight, we dive into one of those phenomena that straddles the line perfectly between fear and the bizarre. The legend of the Grinning Man. If you're able to, close your eyes. Picture yourself walking down a dimly lit street in your city or town. It's very, very late, past 1am. The sound of your own footsteps echoes off the brick and concrete walls of the buildings you pass. As you round a corner towards a more suburban neighborhood, a strange feeling comes over you. There is a cop of trees to your right perhaps in a small park. But something is out of place. As you focus your gaze through the fog and the darkness, there is a very tall man standing awkwardly atop a large root jutting out from the ground beside a massive pine tree. Why would this man be standing there? You cannot see his face or his hands, But you continue forward. As you pass at a distance, you look over your right shoulder. Illuminated in the light of the moon is a tall man in a dark suit, staring at you. His eyes are beady and black, with a wide, smiling grin that started at one ear and stretched across his face to the other. At this, Your interest has long passed, and you bolt away in both confusion and terror. This is the type of experience some people have had with a man, or perhaps a non-human entity, known as Injured Cold. Join us as we delve into early legends and theories on The Grinning Man. Hello, and welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we're back for all of you with a brand new episode. That's and right. I'm really, really excited about this one. Me too. It um, was actually suggested by our producer, Jordan Yu. So thank you for that. Definitely. Getting into some Grinning Man lore slash injured cold stories tonight. Oh, yeah. Mm. This is like bread and butter into the portal kind of stuff. 
And yeah, really excited about it. Just a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of housekeeping before we jump into it. We have a new patron. Um, Give a little shout out on the last episode, the uh, our last film Friday. If you haven't listened to that, go check out Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. But welcome to Jackie Ayers. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for supporting us on. Inter- Thank you on and welcome. Stoked to have you. I think it was. Um, I always mix up our tears, but anyway, I think she's a paranormal scholar mm-hmm. and uh, very excited to have you. So you tons of episodes for her to go through in the backlog. So you guys, if you haven't checked it out, hop on our Patreon, see what we have to offer. So really excited to have Jackie along. And then also we had some really exciting news recently because we got a really cool thing in the mail. Mm-hmm. We got, uh, we won a contest on Twitter and we won a copy of the new book written by Adam from the Pine Barrens Institute. And it is Awesome. So this is uh, Monsters in Print. So he, he sent us a copy of this book and I was honestly kind of like flabbergasted at the how extensive it is. It is like a really well done book. Haven't haven't worked my way through the whole thing quite yet. <laughs> Lots of work to do. Oh yeah. But um un- unbelievably stoked to have it. So like thank you so much, Adam. Go yes. check it out. Yes, okay. definitely check it out. It came just in time because Into the Portal has taken a mini staycation, I guess. Mm-hmm. We're going up to Sparkling Hill tomorrow. A little local resort. Oh, it's amazing. Check it out if you haven't because <laughs> uh, it's uh, world class and we're going to be there and we're going to be reading Adam's book. We're also going to be reading Big Tim's book. Hell he yeah. sent us his comic all the way from Australia. Very cool. So cool. Gorilla My Dreams. I am in love with it already. It's hilarious and it's really well written. It's like a character that pretty much anyone can identify with on a certain level. Hell yeah. And well written. The illustrations are amazing. I it was is. Just, I, was I just want, I want the next one now because I'm pretty much almost done the first one and I'm like, I'm hooked. I know. Mm. Totally. <laughs> uh, another shout out we have too is to uh, a Nick. So this is the, uh, the brilliant mind behind uh, the Etsy shop. You are player one. And Nick has done some really, really cool designs. He's a 3d artist, a sculptor, and he's, he's a toy maker and he's made some custom designs mm-hmm. uh, for Kryptonaut and he's done some monsters and themes from some of their episodes like the pool pyramid you know he's done the boggy creek monster and all kinds of really cool stuff like that octasquatch is in there as well really really cool stuff so make sure you guys go check out his shop we wanted to give a shout out to him uh you can follow him on instagram as well is i really love pixels on instagram and you are player one is the name of his etsy shop so make sure you guys check that out for sure all right Are you guys ready to get into this? Let's do it. So tonight we're talking about, like Amber said, none other than The Grinning Man and some stories of the infamous Indrid Cold. So, Mm -hmm. you know, those who have heard of The Grinning Man, otherwise known as this man known as Indrid Cold, are usually familiar with it because of the context of the Mothman prophecies, right? Um, Either the film, for those of you who are like totally not interested in cryptids and that kind of lore, you get into it that way. But it's associated with that Mothman and that phenomena, the tragedy of the Silver Bridge collapse that occurred in the 1960s. But the high strangeness surrounding this particular figure may or may not really have any connection to these events at all. And there's a conflation of injured cold, UFO sightings, the winged Mothman roaming the woods of West Virginia, the tragedy of the Silver Bridge collapse. And this is something we're going to kind of put aside for this episode. We're going to save this for another day. And instead, we're going to focus on entirely on the encounters with this mysterious and in my opinion downright terrifying in a way figure known as Indrid Cold and the lore that sort of sprung up around these obscure unexplicable unexplainable events uh, from the 1960s that some have claimed to uh, you know have connection to men in black and possibly alien phenomena as well. 
So that's what mm-hmm. we're getting into. That's the chestnut of that tonight's episode. That is the meat on the bone. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> there is a lot you can talk about much be, much more beyond to contextualize like everything that happened in Virginia in that period. And um, definitely like, you know, in Mothman Prophecies, in John Keel's works and all of that, like you, yeah, it, 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 it's all connected, man. But <laughs> the, the yeah. thing is for the, for the, just, you know, the scope of this episode, we really just wanted to focus on this mysterious figure known as injured cold. Yeah. Um, it was a pretty, uh, a, a pretty sparse amount of time that he was really in the consciousness of of what you may might call the men in black phenomena, alien lore, UFO sightings, mm-hmm. all this stuff. Yeah. Um, this was an interesting quote from Skeptoid. Uh, it was an article I pulled up. And they just said here, I just like this. It was, it was a really fun little thing. They say, throughout the 1960s, some who had that very experience of sighting a UFO found there was more to come. It came in the figure of a man, unnaturally tall, darkly tanned, dressed strangely in a long, shiny green metallic jacket, bald-headed and eerie-looking. But his most distinctive feature is that from which his name comes, his bizarre ear-to-ear grin, like a silent shriek dashed across his face. And so, yeah, the grinning man, or injured cold, as he so named himself mm-hmm. to many of the people that witnessed him, well, not many, but the few that did, right. like we said before, yeah, this is inextricably tied up in the Mothman case, heavily reported by John Keel in the 1970s. And Keel was actually responsible for documenting possibly the very first encounter with this grinning man. And this occurred in 1966 and has since been re-reported on various like 14 websites in more modern times and throughout the internet. Before you get right into this, Mm -hmm. do you think we should maybe just try to give, even though we don't have it written into the notes here, a very brief John Keel kind of introduction? Because there's some people, we haven't done a Mothman episode. Some people might have not listened to, say, the Astonishing Legends Do you want to give a little little sum? I mean, I feel like we're both on this, I guess. I I don't even know why. I feel like you're maybe a little bit more adept than me necessarily. But, I mean, obviously, yeah, the figure that was, he's the guy who was investigating the events in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, mm-hmm. associated with the Mothman stuff, was getting weird phone calls. He's essentially Richard Gere in the Mothman Prophecies <laughs> film, <laughs> right? Which Amber hates. Which, no, no, I'm not going to say I hated that movie. It was just a really strange interpretation of the book. No, I mean Richard Gere. You're not a fan of Richard Gere. Oh. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> that too. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he's okay. Yeah, he's I don't right. know, Chicago, sure. All right, okay. Anyway, so any, I guess that's the basics of that. So it's like, that's who he was. Just, Keel, just, just so that. Yeah, yeah Keel is a, definitely a central figure in ufology. And he did heavily investigate a lot of, of, of paranormal phenomena, including yes. UFO sightings, alien phenomena, like, you know, encounters, uh, this men in black phenomena. And he followed up on a lot of this stuff in Point Pleasant. We are going to dive more into that in connection to Woody Derenberger. Yes. Because he's yes. actually quite a pivotal character. Before we do any of that, though, I just thought it was really important to kind of start at the beginning right. of where these sightings kind of, well, sightings, these encounters, mm. or possibly the Grinning Man phenomena could have started. And this actually comes from, like I said before, 1966, it was New Jersey. And it came from two boys um, by the name of Martin and James, or Mouse and Jimmy, (laughs) as they (laughs) were so called. Yeah. And so this was reported by John Keel um, in one of his books that he wrote. I can't remember the name of the top of my head. But 
essentially what happened here was these two boys were just, they're walking down the street one night. It was pretty dark out. They were kind of nervous because apparently there had been a report earlier that day of a woman being chased by a man, a tall man in a green outfit. Strange. Which sounds weird. When I honestly, when I just think about that right now, a, a grinning man with like a shriek, a silent shriek from ear to ear, it reminds me just exactly of the Joker. Very Green much so. suit. Come on, man. Metallic shiny. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> so these boys, these two boys were walking, they're quite young, walking home at night. And essentially what happened here was they wrote in that they had seen a strange tall man standing in the brush beneath this turnpike. It was just a really interesting situation because this was a very treacherously steep 30-foot slant running from a hectic turnpike. And this is where this man was. So he was essentially behind this tall wire fence that ran parallel to the route that the two boys were walking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The decline on the other side of the fence was so steep that the boys had never seen anyone attempt to scale it, nor had they ever seen anyone on the other side, because why would you be there? Makes no sense. So they happened to see this figure standing there very mysteriously, super ominous. And they were talking at the time, and then all of a sudden Jimmy noticed, and he nudged Martin and said, who's that guy standing behind you? Just staring. So the guy turns around, and there he is, just behind the fence just standing there he pivoted around and looked right at the two boys with this really weird big grin strange yeah strange he was over six feet tall dressed in a quote sparkling green coverall costume that shiver shimmered and seemed to reflect the street lights it also had a wide black belt around the waist and he had a very dark complexion Okay, and that's going to okay. be a theme here. Yeah. With little round eyes set very far apart, very beady. Hmm. Mm. They didn't remember seeing any hair, which is another common theme. No ears, no nose, and they didn't notice his hands either. That's okay. <laughs> so they basically right. booked it out of there. <laughs> they were just kind of scared shitless. <laughs> right. And so as the report goes, this is kind of... What happened? They didn't go progress any further. They didn't have any communications with this man as far as the report goes. Sure. And this was the very first possible sighting of what might be known as injured cold. Bizarre, hey? Mm-hmm. Because it's such a, I mean, yeah, it's like that could, that could really be anything, but it is, it is, there's so much crossover with obviously, yeah, the outfit and the grin and just that feeling that people get. Even though a lot of the things that are said by this entity, individual, whatever you want to call it, him, they, whatever, <laughs> uh, isn't exactly male- malevolent. Uh, no. And we'll get into that, but mm-hmm. it's still extremely ominous. Very regardless. weird. It's and just strange. And, and it freaks me out. Uh, it's going to get a lot more strange, though. And we're going to get into the case of this guy, um, Woody, Woody uh, Derenberger, and... Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson. Uh, not the president of the United States <laughs> during the First World War. But, uh, yeah, Woodrow Wilson Woody. Woodrow Wilson Derenberger, a 50-year-old sewing machine salesman. What a career, eh? Mm. He was driving home from Marietta, this is in Ohio, uh, to Mineral Wells, West Virginia. And this was the night of November 2nd, 1966. That, and he had this very, very bizarre experience. So strange, 
in fact, that basically he reported it the next day and it ended up on TV. WTAP television in Ohio. Um, he went on there to recount his tale. And this is what he had to say. So he said, I'm a salesman and I drive a truck. And last night, shortly after 7 p.m., I was coming uh, from Marietta, Ohio, coming down Interstate 77. And just before I came to the intersection of Routes 47, there was a car past me, overtaking me from behind. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. And as the car behind passed me, this object was following close behind it and swerved directly in front of my truck, turning crosswise. And when it turned crosswise, it slowed down. It started slowing down not abruptly or too fast, but gave me plenty of time to step on my brakes and slow down with it. As if it wanted him to slow down, obviously, Hmm, right? Coaxing him into it. He went on to describe the shape and movements of this craft. So the vehicle that he described um, as the strangest thing that he had ever seen, he said it resembled a huge kerosene lamp. Very, very, that's sort of a weird shape, eh? Mm-hmm. We've got a kerosene lamp on our porch here. Well, so, but I think it might be, it must be a different shape he's describing. Yeah, there's lots of different shapes. Some of them are more like globe-like. Some of them are more just like elongated, kind of saucer-shaped. Right. It depends what kind. Like he he doesn't go into much no, more description. No, that, that. The, unfortunately not. But needless to say, he's describing non-ballistic motion. Like it passes by his truck, turns sideways, blocking both lanes of the highway and causing both vehicles that, you know, the one that had passed him and his to come to a complete stop. So as soon, and this continues on from what he was saying in the interview on TV, as soon as I had stopped, there was a door opened in the side of this vehicle that had, that, that had passed him. And this man stepped out and came directly to me, came to the truck. He walked to the right-hand side of the truck and he told me to roll down the window. He asked me to roll down the window on the right-hand side of the truck and I'd done what he asked. And this man stood there. At first he asked me what I was called. I'm just going to go ahead and say that's weird phrasing, mm-hmm. right? He asked what I was called. I mean, I would have responded as human probably anyway. <laughs> and I knew he meant my name and I told him my name. And then he asked me, he said, why are you frightened? He said, don't be frightened. We wish you no harm. He said, we mean you no harm. We wish you only happiness. And, he to- and I told him my name. And when I told him my name, he said his was cold. That was the name he was called by. Cold. Called by. <laughs> Interesting, right? Yeah. So he described how cold was dressed in a dark suit and wearing an oddly wide grin. Mm-hmm. And in a dark account. suit, eh? So this strange entity, right, also related uh, – so, okay, sorry, let me, let me rephrase this. So this – whatever you want to call this thing, whether it's a man, an entity, whatever, it told him that he was a seeker, a seeker named Cold. That's kind of a kicker, right? Hmm. He was communicating allegedly with Derenberger telepathically. This is something we've come across in a few different episodes, and it's almost like the person experiencing it doesn't realize it until halfway through – this conversation that they're having in their head with this entity. Mm-hmm. But this is what happened to Woody. A seeker. So it's I ha- a seeking. Mm. Let's, let's chat about that for just a second here, because that's exactly the question. A seeker of what? You're not playing on a Quidditch team here. Like, no. <laughs> what, what are you looking for? <laughs> right? That's just a, yeah. This was a very interesting, like initial encounter that Woody had. He would go on to have more, or so he claimed. And to be honest, I don't doubt the veracity of his belief. I, I'm i kind of on the fence, obviously on the fence. <laughs> who, 
who wouldn't be on the fence as to whether or not because his claims do get more fantastical they do they, they, they get do more extreme exactly but it, but it is the phrasing of all of it though that is kind of strange it's like it if, is. It, if this is just some kind of like trucker making something up the oh, phraseology yeah. is not it doesn't seem like that matches up to me you know what i mean like to, yeah. it just it seems like something who somebody who would be like a science fiction writer that would come up with that sort and of phrasing. that's exactly what it all comes down to mm-hmm. um woody yeah he's a very interesting bird and we're gonna have more discussion on him uh in a later part of this episode too but right, right now we're gonna focus on the cold experiences focusing on the cold indeed put your sweaters <laughs> on people um he winter is coming <laughs> winter, oh, winter's coming we totally gave up on that series winter is ah, not coming for us <laughs> it still is in canada though well yeah but Cold would go on to ask more questions than just his name, though. So he would he would go on to say, ask several more questions, and some of them are pertaining to this, the nearby town of Parkersburg. But after a short while, he basically, the conversation ended, and he stopped it by saying, it's been nice talking to you, Mr. Derenberger. We will be seeing you again. <laughs> we? Who's we? Right. <laughs> Obviously, he's trying to, I guess, associate it with the other craft. It's like he's right? an uh, ambassador or something. Well, that's just or an emissary. And that's, I guess, like, what the word seeker could potentially be some sort of a translation of. Mm-hmm. In a way. Maybe. I mean, what are what are you what are you a as seeker. an ambassador if you're not a seeker of relations? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> right. that's exactly what I was going to say. A seeker of relations, communications, whatever else. Exactly. Exchanges. But basically with that, that was the last question, last question and last statement. We will be seeing you. And then he backed away from the truck and this strange vehicle that was, you know, there, you know, sorry, returned to, returned to the roadway and basically off. And the one that the UFO, same thing, off into the sky. So Derenberger was kind of left bewildered mm-hmm. on the side of the road. I, I think the other vehicle was gone at this point. Oh, was point. that already was, gone? So yeah. that had already happened, like gone already. The way that then, I picture his explanation was... A little bit different than that exact quote where okay. it was almost as if, yeah, say, yeah, so he's in um, the slow lane. He has a car speed past him. And then I think it was almost like the craft maneuvered and cut him off. Like it was on, its only function was to slow him down to help mm-hmm. Cold do this like highway pullover to like ask this strange trucker a couple of questions. Well, I think Cold's craft was doing the maneuver. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Anyway, it's a strange event. <laughs> no matter is. how you... No matter how you slice it. Well, but the interesting part, because it does get a little bit weirder during this conversation that Darren Berger claimed to have had, he was very specific on when and where it happened. And there were people that confirmed that they saw Darren Berger talking with a man. However, no one reported seeing any type of craft that he described, like the kerosene lamp or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, Essentially, after, (laughs) after that happened, it was only two nights later. On November 4th, when Derenberger met with Cold again. So it goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very interesting. I just wanted to focus on this specific one instance this, this night. Sure. Because he wasn't the only person that supposedly encountered Cold that evening. And there was another report of two men that were in the vicinity of that area in the same time frame. And they supposedly had an elongated object land in front of their vehicle. Hmm. Okay. Same night, same road. Coincidence? They were also similarly forced to stop. And they watched as a man disembarked and headed towards them. And very similar. He had the exact same clothing, a dark coat, 
and he had both arms folded in such a way that they considered to be uncomfortable, which is kind of weird. Again, right? Because then that goes back to the first sighting with the two boys in New Jersey where they they described how they didn't see his hands. And so it was almost, it's a weird thing with the arms. <laughs> There's something going on with these appendages. Yeah, I don't okay. know what. But essentially he asked them a bunch of questions that they considered pointless before returning to his craft and took off. Boom. Out of there. Again. So Derenberger, I don't think he was alone that night. I think there was someone with him. I think witnesses might have even been, I'm thinking like, what if there's some type of camouflage or if it was on the shoulder enough that people driving by just casually wouldn't have even noticed it? I don't know. But I wanted to connect this even further because there was another encounter in the countryside of Point Pleasant. This was during the same period, and it involves a family called the Lily family. It's kind of strange the way they describe this because they reported seeing, quote, poltergeist activity in their home. Okay. Things like diamond-shaped lights. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. They, they chalked it up to poltergeist activity, they not did. necessarily. They said that. it was blue lights, green ones, red ones, things that changed color. Actually, okay, so they saw them around the house and outside the house. Okay. So some were so low that they were, so this is outside the window. Mm-hmm. Some of these lights were so low, this is a quote, that we thought we could see diamond-shaped windows in them, and none of them made any noise at all. Hmm. So they're almost like tiny little craft. Exactly. But just to connect it back even just a little bit more concretely to injured cold at this time, the Lily's daughter, Linda, was actually sleeping in her room one night and awoke to see a man standing over her. A very, very big man, she said. Very broad. I couldn't see his face very well, but I could see he was grinning at me. He walked around the bed and stood right over me. I screamed and hid under the covers. And when I looked again, he was gone. So, injured colds making weird appearances in the countryside, in farm homes. He's talking to randos on the highway. He encounters Derenberger. And if you want to take this all as truth or semi-truth or whatever, things that potentially actually happen... He seemed to have chosen Derenberger as his, I, I don't even know what you call it, his, his contactee? Sure. No, that's a perfect way to, to phrase it. And, mm-hmm. and, and with all this and with that note as, you know, using that terminology, contactee, like I'm very much already leaning that way, right? Like that this is obviously a very much an extraterrestrial phenomenon of some sort because there's so many parallels. And it's, I was just recently listening to the abduction at Devil's Den episode of Astonishing Legends, really good interview they do on there. And I'm not going to give it all away, but it's very similar to a lot of abductions where, you know, it's the, the the memories of what's happening to like an abductee and things like that. It's as if the, the creatures or the entities and things like that, they just don't get us. Right. I mean, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's like they might be advanced and all these things, but it just, they don't understand the nuances of, of being a human. And that's why when I read something like this, or you give me this story right now, like he's a, a broad man, that's just sort of ominously standing over a little girl's bed. But then there's these sightings where he talks to Darren, Darren Berger and at his car and stuff like that. That matches up to me. Like it's a creature that doesn't quite get the social order of things and like what is like acceptable and what isn't acceptable. Mm-hmm. Except in this instance, it doesn't happen to be like implanting little metal objects in you or something like that. Yeah, exactly. It's a little bit more, um, 
um, less diplomatic, less, yeah, less. Shitty. Yeah. And he even like, we didn't get into the details of conversation with Darren Berger, but he did just ask again, some really mundane questions. He was asking about like the population of the city nearby, how, how far away it was, all the stuff. And it's like, do you really need that information from like, you might think that he would be capable of attaining that in some other way, but maybe not. It's just maybe small talk. Not. It's just like weird interdimensional person, small talk, like trying to sound normal, but you don't sound normal. Yeah, yeah maybe. He's like, like I'm just know. trying to be cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Is there a Ralph's around here or <laughs> something? Or, uh... <laughs> Looks like it's going to rain later. Yeah. I don't know. But of course, like I already said, it seemed like Derenberger would become this focal point for the injured cold specific phenomena. And he actually did go on, like we already alluded to. Mm-hmm. He related a very fantastic tale about his adventures, plural, with this figure known as Colt. <laughs> Plural emphasis on <laughs> adventures. <All right. laughs> so yeah, he made many claims that Cold actually admitted this is all obviously through telepathic communication that he was an alien. He was from a planet called Lanulos within a galaxy that was known as Ganymedes. 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 I wish. <laughs> Gene Medes. <laughs> Let's go with that. Shout out to Gene. G- Gen. <laughs> Yeah, that's this has to happen at least once in an episode. <laughs> yeah, just to rub the salt in the wounds yeah. of all the people who hate that we mispronounce yeah. everything. Whatever. So just for you. We can't please everyone. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but anyway, so he's from this distant galaxy. More than that, however, Derenberger would go on to claim that he had been to Lanulos. He had okay. traveled yes. with, with him in a right. spaceship, and he had had many other adventures including other Lanulosians, as they're so-called. And he did provide very detailed descriptions of their society. Yes. About how he essentially over the years had a lot of communication with Cold, along with two other Lanulosians who would visit named Demo Hassan and Carl Ardo. Hmm. Yeah, who apparently were more discreet than Cold ever was. So I, I think Cold's just kind of, he's a little... A little bit of a dim light in the social department or something like gotcha. that. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. And I, I had sort of forgotten about this part of his story. And to me, like, what is your take on that? Like, when you read that, like, what do you think? Because it's a little more fantastical than the regular the, abductee. Yeah. You mean like a whole continuation, the whole world yes. that he either constructed in his imagination or has had the utmost magical experience of... <laughs> of of that no one else in this world well no i'm not gonna say no one else in this world because there are other people that do make a lot of fantastical yeah, claims too that are course. along similar lines yeah not how about quite uh, the same the, the founder of the church of scientology sure there you go <laughs> throw that one out there well it matches mm. up with this pretty well doesn't it it does yeah no i'm, I'm not saying it doesn't yeah. but it goes on and it gets even better we've got a lot more details on cold and his planet of the lanulosians but first a quick promo break. When I was 12 years old, I saw something in the sky that I couldn't explain. And I've been searching for answers ever since. And now I want you to join me on that search. I'm Ryan Spray, the host of the Somewhere in the Skies podcast. You'll hear from researchers, experiencers, and individuals in all walks of life as we sit down and talk all about UFOs, the paranormal, and just plain weird. From the Antica Podcast Network, it's the Somewhere in the Skies podcast. Available now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, 
and at somewhereintheskies.com. Remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching Somewhere in the Skies. And we're back. All right, so let's get into, let's get back into the physical description and try to break this down a little bit more. Let's talk about the suit. You cool with that? Let's do it. All right. First, I mean, we talked about this already. So, like, first, the, the first instance of this involving the two boys, right, that was later connected to Derenberger's experience, you know, just the same description, over six feet tall, this broad-shouldered individual wearing, in the first account, a shimmering green jumpsuit-like thing going on, which sounds distinctly extraterrestrial in mm-hmm. my mind, at least in terms of, like, science fiction sort of imaginings of what an extraterrestrial might be and or possibly reptilian if you're associating <laughs> shimmering green. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just sort of vibes with that. Darren Berger described how initially he thought Cold was wearing wearing a suit, but he didn't describe green specifically. But he just said underneath, like an overcoat, he could see some sort of shimmering material. So this was a quote from from him. As the distance shortened, Darren Berger noted that uh, this man had a dark overcoat on, and beneath that, he wore a metallic-looking uniform that was green and glistened in the limited light. So I guess not exactly the same description, but he is, I guess it's still, yeah, we still got the green there. This metallic looking uniform, this like harkens back to like the silver swimmers and like Lake Baikal and stuff like that too. What is with these strange entities wearing shiny suits? Mm, I don't know. Might be special powers. It's just like the fashion suit of choice. It's like Zoltan from Dude, Where's My Car? Okay. The man's, okay, so, okay. The man's arms were folded and both sets of knuckles seemed to nestle within his own armpits. So that definitely mirrors the description that was put forth by those other two men that saw him and had a converse, a brief conversation with him. This is just they, his standing pose. Isn't that strange? And then in the other account with the two boys, they said that they couldn't even see his arms or anything. So right. what's going on there? What's going on with the arms? It's almost as if his appearance to the to the people that experience him is 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 just that it's 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 as they see him but his physical form isn't actually as the grinning man like we see him as that but he might not actually be that you know what i'm saying so he appears in these weird shapes his arms aren't where they should be or like it's like it seems weird like his arms are crossed and they're not as can't see his hands it does remind me of a lot of the men in black situations that people have reported over the years where it seems as if they are uncomfortable in the oh, situation, yeah. uh, I, I'm forgetting the exact case, but there was the one where there was supposedly a man in black seated at a kitchen table. This might have been connected to the Mothman. And he was seated at the table and he was just incredibly uncomfortable. He looked like he was sweating profusely. He looked like he didn't have a lot of time left. <laughs> he was just that was Mothman. super uncomfortable. Yes. And it was almost as if this form or the, these conditions aren't right for them, maybe. You know what I mean? It could be atmospheric. It could be something to do with bodies that they assume or that we um, perceive them to assume. I yeah, that's an interesting question for sure. Yeah, we'll, we're okay. So let's talk about the grin then. This is another Ugh, distinctive yeah. aspect of this. That's very. Th- this is the freakiest aspect to me, right? This is the most terrifying because nothing looks at you like that unless it wants to do something not nice mm, in my experience ominous it's, it's just unnatural right to have something grinning very, from ear to ear because it is it's very much but. like well yeah but but i mean it reminds me of like the yeah. the the uh the the what's it the 
shadow people, the top hat man, like the guy, oh, okay. like, like the grit, like, right? It's but, very much like that. Big bot here at the same time, maybe if you're trying to interpret human culture and you see that as a positive thing that people exchange, you might try to assume that as your countenance to make you feel more friendly. Of course. Of course. <laughs> and it's just a weird, because it is misplaced. And so when we get that anxious or ominous feeling because of that. Right. Yeah. And then he's asking, why are you frightened? Mm-hmm. In the case of exactly, of Woody. It, it it's so strange. It is reported ubiquitously in all these accounts, so it's ugh, it's just creepy, man. The beady eyes to go with it is kind of mm-hmm. like the kicker, though, right? Because those first the description from the boys was that like the grin to go with beady eyes, beady eyes. Like animalistic, and no nose or ears. Like what? You're missing vital organs, man. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it, it does sound like an assumed or body. or maybe it's more like a Voldemort type of appearance right where everything's folded back and you don't really have a nose it's just kind of like two slits what about the telepathic communications what's your take on that 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 again kind of points to some sort of extraterrestrial or out of this world sort of phenomena or everyone's just going crazy darren Berger was the one that reported this most profusely but there were others that reported similar uh phenomena with characters known as men in black Right, and okay. yeah, that's where we're going to get into a bit of a comparison and possible connections to the men in black phenomena in relation to injured cold. And interestingly enough, there was a couple cases. I didn't want to pull up too, too much on this, just like a brief little, like, you know, foray so that we can kind of do a comparison. But there were a few and it was kind of funny. I pulled up this one little bitty from uh, history.com, which <laughs> hasn't always been the most reputable source for us because no. they do tend to just outright plagiarize other sites that being Which, said well, the information contained within them um even though sourced from other material is like you know generally okay usually pretty good sometimes we have to do extra fact mm-hmm. checking obviously and it was just fun because immediately first thing off the bat in this article they referenced the Mori island incident and we've covered this on the show before yes. and so i i was kind of like oh jog my memory yep we're going back to harold Dahl. yeah that's right it involved this guy harold Dahl, his dog his unfortunate dog and another individual named fred chrisman and this was in this bay uh near an island known as Mori island and this was a ufo encounter it was very strange. It was bizarre. It was essentially a series of craft, and they seemed to be dropping this strange, shiny metallic material and the slag-like material as well. But the next day, or I should say early the next morning, Dahl actually had an encounter with what he referred to as a very weird figure that could be known as a man in black. And this person showed up at his door very early and he, yeah, he was in a blacked out Lincoln. He's wearing an all black suit. He was strangely tanned, had a hat on, sunglasses, all this weird stuff. And he took him for this bizarre breakfast at a diner. And while they were eating, I don't even think he was eating. I think it was just Darren Berger. And he was relating all of these details about the previous day's encounter and how it was just bizarre how much he knew about it. It was just strange, right? So he said, what I have said is proof to you that I have, I know a great deal more about this experience of yours than you will want to believe. And this was a quote from Gray Barker's 1956 book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. Yeah. And I will just say right off the bat, like Fred and Harold were definitely embroiled in a lot of just controversy and a lot of people doubted their claims of veracity. It was investigated by that other really prominent ufologist. Oh, the name is Arnold. Arnold. That's it. Yeah. And he kind of had his doubts as well, but he was fairly heavily involved and he wanted to kind of put Mm -hmm. his two cents in there. Mm -hmm. But 
Anyways, that was another really early, could be possibly the first maybe alleged encounter with this type of individual. If you're associating these two phenomena, like there's no, there's no. Grin. Oh, no, no, no. I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that. It's just like. But I, but you can, there's, there's, there's a lot of crossover. There's there is this. a lot of crossover. And it, uh, kind of just to give a general description of the men in black is there's a lot of different, what you could call incarnations, but they usually have one purpose either to muzzle or intimidate witnesses of these paranormal experiences that they've encountered. Um, they do have a very similar appearance, which is like we said, the black suits, hats, dark sunglasses, dark skin, like weirdly tanned skin. Right. They drive black cars. Usually they're in groups of two or three. And some would describe these as like, you know, like your classic FBI agent. But others have actually more supernatural features, such as these glowing eyes, strange complexions, like I already mentioned, things yeah. like that. So they're just bizarre people and they show up at strange times like they shouldn't know what they know and they do kind of interrogate people all the time Mm -hmm. there was another individual who was also credited with bringing this men in black phenomena into the supposed limelight of ufology and his name is albert k bender and he had um his own experience in 1953 with three mysterious figures and they were said to have communicated telepathically with him which is another sort of like parallel to the injured cold thing. And there was this bizarre exchange of information, including a mysterious metal disc that was gifted to Bender along with instructions. And I was just like, dot, 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 for what? Right. <laughs> I, I honestly didn't get a chance to read the whole book. So I'm not really <laughs> Come sure. Come back to us on that one. But the weird part about this, again, is the fact that Bender, um, he was going to share his experience And he was actually visited again by these mysterious figures who actually intimidated him into silence. It took him about nine years before he actually talked about this. Jesus, hey. Mm -hmm. Crazy. And I suppose that is the difference right off the bat, too, between the, say, the experience of uh, Derenberger and, like, being asked some pleasant questions versus someone being intimidated and all that type of thing. Mm -hmm, Exactly. So, like, the big question is whether or not cold could be considered this type of figure right yeah because even like bender he referred to these people as silencers like they were all about the intimidation factor definitely that's a big discrepancy between what seems to be the aims of this injured cold character unless he's just sort of this rogue figure as a part of the same group Mm. you know what i mean because it is definitely a different kind of an experience even though a lot of the phenomena involved is the same it could get even deeper though because right. Cold will go on to explain to Derenberger supposedly that he approached or his society has approached the U.S. government and that they have been rebuffed and told that they can't be promised safety. So perhaps there are two sides of this coin in which I don't even know. Maybe there is U.S. government involvement. Go down to the conspiracy angle there. Boom. Very strange. Or right? perhaps, like you said, maybe there is another group and uh, yeah, another alien group or whatever. The thing is, though, it's like, the, the, here's the one divide, too, though. It's like, we're asking the question right now, is injured cold in this figure of the Greeny Man associated with the men in black? But then there's also the men in black question where it's like, are the, those figures paranormal? Be, mm-hmm, right? Like, exactly. in their own right. Like, or is it government? <laughs> because exactly. a lot of the time it's seen that way. Mm-hmm. And even my little sister, like Emily, uh, shout out to the Emmeru podcast, she's experienced men in black phenomena. Yeah. Uh, in Kelowna. And... We'll have to get her to recount the exact details of that, but it was something to the effect of her driving to work and it being sort of a weird time of day for there to be, 
I can't remember if it was a, a it, was, time it, it was a busy road. It was the um, intersection of KLO and Gordon, right. I think, if I remember correctly. And, and, and she said it was basically just deserted. And it right. shouldn't have been. It was about 6 o'clock That's at night. That's what it was. It should have been. Normally, it would be totally packed. Crazy busy. And what she essentially saw was, I think it was four. It might have even been more, though. Totally blacked out SUVs. But that almost like they looked like they weren't like there, <laughs> like I guess would be the mm-hmm. way like they were like very almost like ephemeral kind of in a way like they weren't like shiny, like blacked out, like clearly carrying like Justin Trudeau's like motorcade, you know what I mean? Whatever. Yeah, right? it's more ominous. And they more, were driving yeah. bumper to bumper. So like their bumpers were touching and they were all driving like perfectly as if it was like a limousine, like they were attached to each other. And it was just very, very strange. So men in black in cars. I remember she called me right after that and was like, I'm freaked out. Yeah. Is this, and she, and she ended up doing her own research on it and then came back to me later and was like, is this men in black phenomenon? I was like, Emily, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Very strange though. As far as the focus of this episode, at least is like, if cold, do you consider him a man in black or not? No. Yeah. He's not intimidating. He's not. Exactly. He's not. I'm kind of leaning away from that myself yeah. too. He's a seeker, not a silencer. Yeah, exactly. So if that's the case, then is he some other interstellar intrepid? I don't know. Mm. Mm. Okay. Well, he's if, an interloper if, from if, the far reaches of the galaxy yeah, of Lanulos. Indeed. Or Lanulos or Ganymedes. Lanulos, Ganymedes. <laughs> the planet of Lanulos in the galaxy of Ganymedes. <laughs> okay. I yeah. I don't think we need to split hairs on that because it's all. <laughs> it's a little. A little woo-woo, potentially. It's all woo-woo. But let's get into it, though. Woo-hoo. Let's talk about Lanulos. <laughs> woo-woo. Let's do it. And this place, Ganymede, he claimed, like Darren Berger, going back to him, he claimed that he was brought to a distant planet called Lanulos, like we said, situated in the faraway constellation of Ganymede. It sounds very much like a fantastical fairy tale or something, right? Which most would argue is not a constellation, while others point to the fact that Ganymede is a Greek translation for Aquarius. So that's what oh, we have out there. Oh, we're the in the age of Aquarius. Okay. Mm. <laughs> is, that, is that something that he, that if you're going off the line of thought that like he's making all of this up, I don't know. It's kind of... I'm not quite... Yeah. I'm not well, quite let's, let's get into this. it more. So description of the planet. According to Cold's description, Lanulos was somewhere around 14.6 light years from Earth in the Ganymede galaxy of stars if you believe it to be a galaxy. Originally settled by people from Earth, that's interesting, who traveled there in, obviously, interstellar ships of some kind, right? Basically implying that at some point in time, human beings were capable of this. In many, many ways, obviously, the ancient astronaut theorists of the world would be jumping for joy Hmm. reading something like this Mm -hmm. as if they had been given some sort of technology and there was the ability. Not that we've had many episodes where we're like, ancient peoples had way more abilities than we have now as individual people to like survive and like build stuff and like Mm -hmm. knew about And collectively too. They had a lot of amazing feats. Totally. But spaceships is another Well, that almost harkens back to the idea of like almost like a Prometheus type thing where it was another world occurred before our world on the same planet. It's very cool to think about the knowledge of space travel long before our time. It's very, very, very cool to Mm -hmm. at least Something we've lost, an ancient knowledge that we've lost. Right. And I, I guess, yeah, yeah. And of course, I mean, being humans originally, this planet that they ended up populating is very much like Earth. But the yearly cycle had only three seasons, according to Cold. Uh, there was a planting season, a harvest season, harvest season, and a cold <laughs> season. Winter <laughs> season, I suppose we'd say. I don't know. 
it's very it's a simplified pun planet. intended i suppose you might say they don't need spring why, why actually spring? i guess planting would be spring harvest and cold that makes sense to me that's just more natural right yeah. it's a more naturalistic cycle no for sure but why have the name cold why pick why why that name because it's cold it's not warm i don't get it though just call it not warm <laughs> no i mean his name <laughs> oh like injured cold's yes. name I don't know. I feel like that was just a random pick out of the hat. It's almost like when we chose, what was it? Our stripper names. And it was based on oh, like <laughs> the, the street you lived on and your birthday. Or, no, or, no, it was a funner one. I did it. I think it was uh, <laughs> hillbilly horror stories. They had it up on social media. It was hilarious. <laughs> we had some really bad ones. So our, mine was just like, I think it was just trashy farmer or something. And yours, no, yours was like slutty farmer. Yeah. And um, I was just like ugly something ugly hillbilly or i don't, I don't even know it was something dumb it didn't get my juices no, Let's just really. anyways let's go into the the society of the lanulosians mm-hmm. basically he would you know cold told darren Berger that the people of lanulos are extremely religious and they believe in one god so the father of all and the creator of all that is good I guess that's, so that that's sort of matches up my with question is where who created all the non-good things do they exist in this world is it just this beautiful utopian society with no problems seems to be but doesn't that still sound exactly like Christianity in a way doesn't that, I mean like right I mean God creates mm-hmm. everything and everything is good but then the the world that is not controlled by the hand of God can turn to, to be not good. I guess. And, <laughs> and that's and they our don't, fault. <laughs> and then they don't consider the devil a God, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. Hmm. They also have a language, but they communicate um, through telepathy mostly. Just yeah. like they're communicating. On and Earth, just to add to this whole utopian thing, they've developed in a non-hostile manner and have no need for crime or war. Hmm. Loosely organized around a 56-person uh, guiding council, allegedly, is their formation of government whose members are you know, elected on basically like a biannual basis, which is very specific. And if somebody is unfit, i.e. needing to be impeached, (laughs) fitting for the times, uh, they're dismissed and another elected uh, official will end up filling the vacancy. Mm -hmm. So it sounds very much like the process on earth. It's very diplomatic. Except the process on earth. And here's the thing though. It's like the democratic process and like what we have, I guess maybe it would work perfectly in a situation if the individuals you know what I'm, applying it are not angry at everything. True. That's right? exactly it. Because it doesn't really work perfectly. They're like these right? pure ethereal beings. It's almost as if I'm, my question now is, are we all the rejects? <laughs> we got sent We're back. totally the rejects, baby. 100%. We're just garbage down here. <laughs> yeah. Podcasting about the lanulosions and there's laughing. Mm. Laughing it up. Lying and laughing. I feel like this next point is going to be something that you really appreciate mm. and that will appreciate at Sparkling Hill during the European hour. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So these people, these lanulosians, have no need of clothes and generally walk around in the nude. And Derenberger was actually, he when he first visited this planet, he told how he was actually receiving a lot of stares because of his clothing. And so he soon adopted, quote, the local custom. <laughs> And, and nice. just just a side note here, apparently the um, the inhabitants of Venus, which Derenberger also visited on his many adventures, okay. um, they, he also recalled that the residents were nudists as well. Mm-hmm. On Venus. Apparently. Maybe he's not talking about our Venus. Maybe he's talking about the, the Ganymedes Venus. Well, it has to be because they're in a different 
galaxy, are they Perhaps, not? perhaps. But it gets even better. So children, they do incur a very lengthy education period. As soon as they're capable of knowing good from evil, people have a much larger lifespan of about 125 to 175 years old in Earth time. Okay. Yes. So this is where we're getting into the whole, why are they here kind of thing on Earth. And mm. and apparently, according to Cold, these friendly Lanulosians were highly engaged in business. So they're neoliberals. <laughs> they're in there. And they wanted to establish trade with Earth. However, these relations were rebuffed. Um, the American government, government, like I mentioned before in particular, found um, they, were, they were basically unwilling to negotiate and also unwilling to guarantee safety for these people. And when they had attempted to land in the previous, uh, in the past, they had been met with much hostility and cold indicated that he had actually had wounds from a shotgun on one occasion. Huh. Mm-hmm. It makes you wonder it's like when and like what specific sort of like contact, like, like scenarios that happened in, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. very, very interesting. It's a very, very detailed account, right? Like there's a lot of, a lot of little facts, a lot of, a lot of things where it's like, is this guy just, does he have an amazingly vivid imagination? Has he convinced himself of this reality? Has he hallucinated it and it feels real to him and therefore he's able to explain it in such vivid detail? You know what I mean? Like, where, where, where are you landing all that? It almost sort of, it does sort of sound that way. You know what I mean? It's almost like, but it's like his first, his first encounter with the grinning man, with injured cold, potentially with cold, right on the side of the road, that was far less fantastical than obviously like what we're describing now. So it's almost as if it sort of started maybe in a more legit way. Like it was an actual interaction. And then the rest of this is, is, is coming as just a byproduct of this fantastic, of this relationship. Like just his, like maybe this is all happening in his head. He never actually went mm-hmm. to Lanulos. He never went anywhere. This is all being projected into his mind. Perhaps. And you have to wonder too, because this comes from his book, right? It was called Visitors from Lanulos. And he, he didn't co-author it, but he rather like more so related his tale to an author named Harold W. Hubbard. And this was actually published by Vantage Press in 1971. So it was quite a few years after the initial encounters and experiences and all this stuff. And my question then becomes is like, how much influence did Hubbard have? And these conversations, right? Because obviously they would have to be intimately um, connected and have a lot of communication. And I'm curious as to how... Derenberger, because even that initial quote, right, from his, uh, what was it, WPCT interview or whatever on TV? Yes. That was a very, very rough, cut and dry style of speech. You know what I mean? Not very sophisticated, if you want to call it that. And it just, it makes me wonder how much influence this Harold Hubbard guy had on this book. And I will note here that Vantage Press is known for its vanity publishings. According to most, the publishers of this particular, like they wouldn't have actually been distributing visitors from Lanulos. It would have been something that was distributed in person. So Derenberger would have been ordering copies of this book that he would have been selling at his speeches, mm-hmm. at his events, and, yeah. and you know, like whatever appearances and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. This I do is... want to make the point too. There's the name yeah. Hubbard, just because I did nah, throw I know, that comparison <laughs> early on with L. Ron Hubbard, and that's just kind of serendipitous that there's that name involved yeah. somehow. I know. Is it a relation? I don't know. I we should it. dig a little deeper. I highly doubt it, but... Dig a little bit deeper. Okay. But anyways, um, yeah, so this was where we get these multiple accounts, or sorry, encounters in great detail. Interestingly enough, John Keel did write a foreword to this book. 
Um, and he did consult with Derenberger during the time of his alleged investigations. He was interested in the case for sure. Definitely. And this was from johnkeel.com. He says here, this is referring to the book. It's a slender volume filled with Derenberger's implausible tales of saucer rides, planets peopled by pious nudists who drink decaffeinated coffee and feathered humanoids in pink spaceships. It's illustrated with detailed saucer plans and the intergalactic alphabet used on the planet Alanulos. So interestingly, like he, he makes it clear that he doesn't really believe Derenberger, but he deserves a hearing. So it's kind of this like, kind of like toe in the line. And this wasn't actually an expert from the foreword he wrote in the book. And it was dated to 1968, which was what, three years before it was actually published by Vantage yes. and Derenberger. Yeah. And he says here, quote, Woodrow Derenberger will be called a liar, a psychopath, and many other unpleasant things. He has already suffered considerable ridicule and condemnation, even from those who believe in, quote, flying saucers, but do not wish to believe that someone is actually riding around in them. I cannot endorse his story, but I do feel I know the man well enough to give him a character reference. The important thing is that he seems to be telling the truth as he knows it. He sincerely believes that these things happened to him, and he's willing to expose himself to ridicule and condemnation in order to make himself heard. That's the end of the quote there. Yeah. So, like, my question is here, like, can we make comparisons to these claims put forth by Derenberger to those of Bob Lazar as a similar figure? As far as character, the incredibility of his story, and and just, like, the character references, right? The people that will just support the, their their reputation. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's a I think that's a good comparison to make because especially in our modern times, right? Because that's mm-hmm. the most recent the most recent topic of conversation conversation in UFOlogy with that with the documentary coming out on Netflix with Bob mm-hmm. and we've covered it on our Patreon and um, we mentioned that off the top of the show so go check that out if you want to hear our take on on Bob Lazar. But that was the case, right? Like character references out the wazoo for Bob and mm-hmm. but then a lot of things he would say that were very degrading to his his character at the same yeah. time and that certain people would latch onto and still do latch onto as like hardcore anti Bob Lazar people and mm-hmm. that's the, that's the crux of his story too it's it's so true and yet so untrue uh, potentially at the same time the same thing I guess could be said for for Derenberger if you, if you if you go with the witness accounts that he was talking to a man on the side of the road mm-hmm. and then you believe his initial story. Yeah. Um, and that's where with a lot of these figures, right, you get into the question of or not even a question so much. It's 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 okay to say that there is how am I trying to phrase this? There's it's okay, not even okay. It's just it's it's truth in belief, right? Yeah. So in their minds, it's true because they believe it so hard or not so hard. <laughs> they believe it so hard. <laughs> That's a weird way of saying that. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Where it's yeah. like the faith reaffirms the reality. No, for sure. And the fact that they can connect the dots and, and like other people have connected these dots, right? Like we're connecting them right now. Exactly. As, as just, you know, armchair theorists here. But it's, you know, just looking at this in broad scopes, right? You have Derenberger. You don't just have Derenberger, right? You have other figures who have supposedly had these similar encounters. And so it does lend itself to some sort of basis. No, absolutely. And it's like, and and we, we're going to cover John Keel more closely and Mothman at some point in time. 
It's a classic case. Mm-hmm. We have to cover it on the show. We just have to. Yes. And, and, and he's one of the ones where it does get a little bit more detailed when it comes to this. And we're, we'll get into some of that as well. Mm-hmm. But That's yeah. for another day, though. And it's, yeah. So Cold hasn't made very many recent appearances in modern times. No. And he seems to have kind of sunken into the more obscure side of West Virginian history. However, this is fun. There was actually an encounter reported in 1979 in the area of Genoa, Italy. Mm. So we're going to Italy, babe. Going to Genoa. Mm, we're doing right, it. Let's do it. So... A night watchman named Pierre Zanfretta reported an eerie encounter that was very similar to Derenberg's first encounter with cold. So Zanfretta was actually in his report, or his report car. <laughs> I don't even know. His patrol car. <laughs> Reading his report card. <laughs> Reading is hard. <laughs> Just words are hard. So he was in his patrol car, and this was in the outskirts of Genoa, and he had stopped for gas. When he became aware of a figure motioning toward him, very, very similar terms he was described in to that of Derenberger. Yes. So this is it, quote, a tall humanoid figure with a bald egg-shaped head who was dressed in a checkered suit this time that actually included a chest plate made of steel. He was grinning from ear to ear. Hmm. So he dropped the shiny green suit He's wearing checkers. <laughs> we don't know what colors they are, though. Um, specifically, no, no, they didn't. They didn't get into that. I was kind of picturing like classic Joker, like black and white or something. That would be fun. Right. Well, it's the seventies, the seventy nine versus the sixties. You know, you got to get out of the shiny right. and into the something else. Sure. So apparently, this figure actually spoke to Zanfreda telepathically, and ordered him to drive his car into a cloud hovering over the ground nearby. Right. Zenfreda did as he was ordered and found himself and the car levitated into a massive alien craft. And this ship, according to the watchman, was filled with not only reptilian alien is, aliens, sorry, which had previously actually abducted him. So this guy has had multiple encounters too with weird stuff. Okay. But also these large transparent cylinders filled with a weird blue liquid. And one of these cylinders was said to have contained a frog-shaped body, which the aliens explained was, quote, an enemy from another planet. Strange stuff. So he's basically motioned into a cloud, levitated into a craft by a man known as Indracold. Or sorry, not Indracold, but reminiscent of Indracold. Only to find himself in a reptilian-filled alien spacecraft. Pretty nuts, man. Pretty nuts. Love it. Just high strangeness right here. <laughs> very much so high strangeness. But at the same time, just to sort of like take back a tiny bit of the strangeness of that, even though, I mean, that's sort of hard to do. But if you're obviously a believer in, in, in abductions and you believe not everyone, but in the abduction phenomena in general, there are many cases where someone ends up on board a craft or what they perceive as a craft where they encounter multiple different creatures. Mm, like almost different right? races. Right. Yeah, exactly. Different races of creatures. So that is very unique. And that's really weird about this, this scenario. It's got the injured cold humanoid figure. That's the, that's the description that's different here from some of the earlier ones where it's like clearly a man, but then a man with a weird grin. Mm-hmm. The idea of being humanoid, but not human. That's mm-hmm. different altogether. Yeah. That implies that like the arms are distinctly different and like it's v- Right, like it's it's. You didn't even describe the arms. I know, but it's like when I when I think humanoid, I think like longer than average arms. Like I just think like elongated things that like aren't meant to be the shape. Well, they are. I think he's just describing a human shaped form. I think that's all he meant by that. Okay. A humanoid, like human. It's just that's a human weird shape. way of describing it. 
to me. Not really. Yes, I would describe if I saw something that looks strange. And like, you know, like if you see a shadow in the fog up the road from our house, you're not going to say I saw a humanoid shape at the top of the road. I I could. You're going to say, I think I saw a person standing at the top of the road. Humanoid. (laughs) It was humanoid, but it wasn't human. Okay. It's just very broad strokes. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm saying. You're just pecking it apart on me. No, I I know. That's what we're here for, right? Right. Mm -hmm. I am. But, and also the idea of the cylinders and the goo and the liquid though, too. Very, very common. Mm-hmm. And um, again, I don't want to give it away. Go and listen to the, uh, that abduction at Devil's Den, Astonishing Legends, because it's a really, really interesting episode. That's just something that comes up mm. in that. And it's a very, very believable account. And I'm, I'm, I'm definitely of the mind that some of these people, were, I mean, th- this, sounds, this sounds believable enough to me. It's, <laughs> it's different than the Lanulosians, that's for sure. Yeah, he didn't go to Lanulosa as far as I'm aware. But yeah. Zen Freda, man, throwing a wrench into it. Uh, Italian wrench. Italian wrench. I like it. Yeah. I love it a lot. I, I love this whole episode. Yeah. Come down to the end of it. We've got, you know, final discussion. What do you make of this whole thing? Man, at the whole end of the day. Chestnut, the, the meat on the bone. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's a, <laughs> I thought you were going to do that earlier in the episode, and you kind of just reminded me of it now, where it's like the Michael Scott, where it's like, no, don't, for any reason, ever, in an, any circumstance. <laughs> To anyone, ever, like, anytime, like, anytime, anywhere, <laughs> any place, <laughs> talk to Indrid Cold. <laughs> um, but seriously, though, I, I am weirded out by this phenomena. It's sort of refreshing in a way that it hasn't happened recently. Even though it's like I am sort of journeys in for like a, mm. a new Indrid Cold sighting experience, Ooh. like encounter. And if we really dig deep, maybe there is one. I think listeners yeah. out there, like, send us in. You got some updated information. There was some recent Mothman sightings last year in the Chicago area, mm. not necessarily connected per se, and we didn't cover it in detail on this episode, but we will. But yeah, um, I, I'm not really sure, ultimately, because it doesn't really sound like a classic alien sort of uh, probing, pun intended, for some sort of an abduction, like looking for something you need. It reminds me of a, a strange, socially inept, interdimensional traveler that has genuine benevolent intentions, but has no idea how to actually enact them. Mm. Like whatsoever. None at all. No skills, man. No. None. Or plan or anything. Because mm-hmm. what, what is the whole point? If you want to get into it, what is the point of befriending Darren Berger, of explaining these situations to him, of bringing him to the planet Lanyuls? He's not an important dude. He is a sewing machine salesman. But that's, he's not he's yeah. not up there in a government. He can't make any he can't influence anything really. I know, right? Beyond just becoming another crackpot in the whole scheme of crackpots that are like, spread all across America. You know but it's I mean? like that's just it though. It's like it makes me think to myself like if we're if we're to believe in the ambassador, right, a seeker of something, injured cold is like the like, buddy, you actually haven't been employed by the Lanulosian government for like ten years, but you're still out here like trying to prospect new clients. He's like, he's like the he's like the Ranger Gord from Red yeah. Green of like interstellar travelers. Like he's, like, he's not really getting anything done. Well, because even Derenberger he, alluded to that right when he said he met two other Lanulosians and they were way more like. Uh, skilled i guess they were a lot more like um diplomatic under the radar so to speak okay right. yeah they just had a little bit more pizzazz yeah pizzazz. Is that a thing? i feel like this was a good episode for us to kind of just intro this phenomena right because we have these the, this the, the case of darren Berger and just some of these other stories and like the character of, of injured cold it gets it, it it does get freakier when we get into mothman and that's something that's going to be coming down the pipe for you guys and john keel 
But what do you think? What are your final thoughts? I just think it was a really, really fun story. I really was, as, as soon as I started researching this, I just instantly fell in love with it, even because it is so weird. It's just so strange. And the very first sighting that 1966 in New Jersey was kind of the cherry on top for me when I first uncovered it. I was like, this yeah, is just freaky. So strange. The the parallels in the, the, the description, the face, the outfit. There's so many things that these people didn't know each other. No. They didn't know each other. They just happened to encounter something very odd. Yeah. And I wish once in my life I could experience something weird like that and and live to tell the tale. <laughs> and live to tell the tale. That's kind of a kicker. That's kind of a kicker for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, we want to hear what you guys have to th- have to say. What do you think about mm-hmm. this entire story about the grinning man and just about this phenomenon in general? Mm-hmm. Is it associated with the men in black? Is he a men in black? What is this? What is going on here? So hit us up. You guys know where to find us on Instagram at into the portal podcast on Twitter at into the portal one. That's the number one. So come follow us, especially on Instagram. If you guys don't follow us on there already, we're posting all kinds of cool stuff. We're trying to get mm-hmm. to a thousand followers. So help us out. We'll follow you back. And uh, you can always hit us up by email too, into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. As always, check out our network, Straight Up Strange Productions yep. at straightupstrange.com. We have our Strange Times, the highly irregular periodical of strangeness on there for you to check out. <laughs> Lots of really cool articles uh, with some new ones coming down the pipe and also some other uh, still, like we've mentioned before, some other cool projects coming down the pipe for Straight Up Strange. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned for that. Any other thoughts, Amber? Well, that pretty much wraps it up there. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, as always on Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bizarre. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.